Fourth episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb. I just got back from Grand Prix Denver. Uh, what did you do last weekend? Pretty much just more Magic Online, which has kind of been my life for the time being. And I also watch Grand Prix Denver very, very carefully. Um, I, I passed on the RPTQ because my arm was not ready for shuffling yet. So I'll be playing the last Moto one this weekend. Oh, tight. Okay. So what what's your experience with like? the GP results compared to Magic Online, and what are you thinking about playing? I feel like I'm back to square one right now in the format. Uh, ramping. I, ramping. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll ramp, because I see the problem with ramp right now, right? Obviously, the dominant deck coming out of this GP is Rug. And for people who have talked with me about ramp and, and kind of my discussion around it has always revolved around the fact that that's one matchup that I can't get to the point where... Any configuration, even my post-board configuration, really feels favorable. Like, I can get to okay matchups. I really won't go as far as favorable in the rug matchup. And, you know, mono-red remains a problem, and we're starting to see red tick back up, too. So I'm yeah. kind, I kind of don't want to play ramp. It would be my desperation choice if I figured nothing else out just because of familiarity. But I'm exploring everything right now, and I'm open to all the possibilities. So I'm really excited to, to have this conversation today. All right, check this out. I'm not sure. I have I have some some information, and I'm not sure how useful it is. Okay. But are, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so standard is at a point where the only thing that really matters is the matchup between, like, how big your deck is versus theirs. So, like, okay. there's approach at the top. It goes over the top of everyone. And then there's, like, ramp. Then, like, the God Pharaoh's Gift deck. Then teamer. Or black green, then teamer. Then zombies then Monument, and Mono Red is in there somewhere, wherever, you know, like however you want to build your deck, basically. Yeah, it has a lot of configurations that can move up and down the spectrum. Yeah, so, especially like the uh, one that top aided Denver, uh, John Rolfe, I think. Yeah, he, yeah. Didn't have, he had Soul Scar, No Gorger, and Bomads, just like a bunch of big stuff. Fewer one drops, definitely creeping up towards getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Oh, maybe maybe it was Zach's list too. Yeah, Zach had like a Glorybringer main and twenty five land and mm-hmm. stuff. So his deck yep. his deck is like firmly big. Four Chandras as well, main. Yep. So yeah, uh, I I think that is basically it. That's those are kind of like your matchups. It's like uh, approach is like going to be good against ramp, and it's it's going to be good against anything that is like solidly mid range, and then it's it's kind of like rock paper scissorsy except with like a range, I guess. You know, it's okay. like the the black decks are going to lose to the bigger decks, and then, like, the smaller decks are going to beat the approach decks. Like, anything that can function as a fish deck, basically, or a mono-red aggro deck, I think is going to beat approach and ramp. So, it, it really just comes down to, like, where on that spectrum you think the metagame is going to be for the most part, and then if, if it is, like, solidly in one spot, then I think that you can just go a little bit bigger or go, like, a lot lower and have a good time, but... Now we're kind of at the point where it's like a little bit of everything is viable if if like teamer's the best deck, you know? Yeah, that's what I wanted to say is that I, I'm on board with your theory. I, I like the way you're thinking. I really love kind of big picture approach approaches to formats where you can just make kind of a unifying theory. And I, I really like this one you're bringing to the table right now of just size being really the, you know, ultimate determinator of what's going to happen in a matchup. But isn't everything just right in the middle? Like if Rug's the top deck, then we're directly in the middle of the spectrum right now so rug is the top deck and i'm gonna try not to call it rug i'm gonna try and call it teamer but okay i'll, I'll try and pick up that <laughs> teamer teamer is it looks like the best deck right uh it has the counter spells post board to beat the big sorcery decks so it can play like a fish type game and it also has like a bunch of removal and solid fatties slash defensive tools to like play the controlling game against things like mono red and stuff so it kind of gets to like play both ways, which a lot of decks don't really have the capability of doing, at least not as well as they do. Yes, that sounds correct to me. I think that merits some more exploration too, though, right? Because wasn't it just a few weeks ago that we were both sitting here saying, well, what does Rug really beat? And, and now I would sit here and say, well, what really has an edge versus Rug? And I wonder how my thinking has gotten so twisted so quickly to kind of the polar opposite of what I was saying just two weeks ago, because it does seem like Rug adapts so well. Because they crushed a tournament, but... Probably, yeah, just being completely results-oriented. No, I mean, like, I 
Like, Teamer, Teamer is typical Jund. It's like 55, 60% against everything. You know, it's there aren't a lot of decks that it absolutely smashes. And even their bad matchups, like maybe Mono Red or White Blue Monument or something, like those matchups are close. Yeah. So Teamer crushed it, right? But that doesn't mean that Teamer's going to be like 25% or anything. So I don't know if you can actually say like, oh, let's go back to like Dusk Dawn, right? Because like that was what we used to beat them at the Invitational. Yeah, that's true. But as you say that, we go to this top eight. And there's a few copies of Dust Dawn somehow creeping in. I find it funny that this gentleman, uh, looks like Greg Michael Mitchell, maybe, took Dust Dawn to the top eight. And it, it was not you holding the torch for Monument because you wanted to do so so badly, I know. What do you think of his choice here? Did he kind of like next level everyone by getting onto this deck? Uh, I think his list is good. Very no frills. This is, yeah, right. And this is the one person in the top eight who I didn't know. So it's it's very odd for them to be playing like this deck that has kind of fallen out of favor. But I, I agree with a lot of his choices where like he has Declaration in Stone, no irrigated farmlands, is playing some Chef at Dunes, like it is like we've we've come to the, a lot of the same conclusions on this deck. And even a sideboard playing against red, Authority of the Consoles and Linvala is yep. exactly what I would do. So the, the only thing that I would really change about his deck specifically is playing like some more counter spells in the sideboard, just like invasive surgery or something. Okay, I like but, that change. But yeah, it's just like this this dude snuck in because his his deck was good against the winner's metagame. Yes, and yes, I, I, think I think that's very clear. I think that's all it is, you know. So like, yeah, I mean, if if you play against a lot of teamer decks, then I think your deck is going to be very good. Obviously, Dust Dawn is quite embarrassing against most builds of Mono Red. This is this is the deck that we used to use to get under people, and it historically is going to have like a pretty bad matchup against Control. I, I assume like Approach is a bad matchup just because like Gain Seven is like Fog Plus against you because you don't have a huge clock or anything. I don't know. It's I, I think it's like a risky choice to actually play this deck, but I do think that if you play the right matchups, then like your deck is great. And that that brings me to another point. I find myself. And, and this is a hard position for, for me because I feel like I usually derive a lot of my edge from this. I find myself terrified to make a metagame call. I, I don't have any faith in my judgments to say like, oh, I think this will be 20% of the field and I'm going to tilt my matchups against it. I, I don't think that's a safe thing to do right now. I mean, for so many reasons. There's just so many decks out there. So many of them are good too. Like so many of these decks are just like very well tuned at this point, reaching a, par a point of kind of finality in their builds. Yeah. Um, I think we're really, you know, with zombies, we're certainly reaching that point. Like for Liliana's Master is the default, and I kind of questioned that I ever thought about playing less. And, you know, we're trimming our mimics now. We're down to looks like one mimic is the default build. I think it's kind of a, a copycat of Reed Duke's build maybe from the mocks a couple weeks ago that made the top eight here. But, I, I mean, we seem to have settled on that as our, our, our point of finality. And it's just a, a really strange... It just feels like a whole new type of magic for me. I, I I don't know where I'm supposed to make my adjustments. I feel, based on kind of Brad and Corey's and Brian's success in this tournament, that the correct place to do it is now in your sideboard. I mean, we look at their list, which they absolutely dominated the tournament with. There's not a whole lot of different stuff going on. I mean, you're, the biggest point that kind of catches your eye is the Sky Sovereign's main. But that's not new. That's been around for a while. Yeah, I mean, they, they have two where a lot of the Moto lists had one. Yeah, and, and other than that, I mean, what's really the kind of, you know, earth-shaking things going on here? Not really a lot. I think if they just had a smart distribution of, you know, their sideboard and, and main deck slots, and obviously they kind of nailed exactly the right setup for this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way. It's like, sure, okay, Brad won a standard Grand Prix, whatever, but Corey and BBD also got like second and fourth or whatever. So it's just kind of absurd. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know how to do Because if something like that happens, you expect them to have kind of like shattered the tournament wide open, right? Like they found something that no one else was doing, completely redefined the metagame. They didn't really do that here. They just dominated, like absolutely dominated with, I don't want to say quite stock, but almost stock lists of Teamer. Almost. And uh, it's, I don't know. When you're hot, you're hot, I guess. And... You know, Brad and Corey are beyond hot right now, and that continued here. Yeah, no, they know what's up. Sky Sovereign, as a two of, I think, could be the card that you point to, where it's just like, that probably had something to do with a lot of their success, because you can't play two of that card in your main deck and have it be bad and still do well, you know? Yeah, so that puts you in a very vulnerable position. 
And for, for the last few weeks, like, that card has been creeping up more and more, just like zombie sideboards, zombie main decks. Uh, the zombie decks were starting to play, like, more murders in their sideboard just to answer Sky Sovereign. And, yeah, I mean, it, I, I really do wonder, like, what their records were against, like, all the different archetypes, like, where they took their losses and stuff. I'd be really curious to see that. I know that Brad lost to MJ in the mirror, which is something that I certainly want to talk about. Yeah, well, why don't, do you want to get right into that? Because I really like MJ's list. And I know, you know, he's not going to get the headlines because he did not find his way into the top eight. But he has a piece of technology, which uh, in kind of my... The, it's been two weeks now since we last spoke. And in kind of those two weeks, I've been obsessed with one of the main cards in his deck. And that's the Scarab God. Yeah. There was a party at Raptor's house on Friday before the GP. Like maybe like 20 people were there. And it was just like... Everyone with pro points, basically, was invited to this thing. And I guess if you weren't invited and you were listening to this, like, my bad. Sorry, like, didn't, <laughs> didn't mean to, like, bring this up or whatever. But MJ was one of the people there, and he was just like, yeah, like, here's my teamer list. He's showing it to me on his phone. We're talking about things a little bit. Talked to him a little bit about the Scarab God Splash, and he's like, yeah, like, the card is good, but is it is it worth playing Swamp instead of, like, a real land? And I don't know, but I do know that uh, I, I played Mono Red, and from my side of things, five toughness is huge. Yeah. It's it's basically impossible to kill because like your Chandra's don't touch it, your Glory Bringers don't touch it. I had a cut ribbons in my sideboard, just like nothing I do does anything against this card. So Scarab God is like you 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 cast it and it's effectively indestructible. You know, like there are so few ways to actually remove it. MJ actually wanted I think two struggle to survives for his sideboard or at least one, and they just didn't have them, so he didn't get to play them. Very interesting. Yeah, I like, mean, he just shatters. He absolutely shatters the mid-range mirrors. If you have time to set up behind Scarab God, you win the game. That's just, that's just how it goes. Right. You also had a Sky Sovereign, which you obviously, you know, getting points there as well. I like the look of his list just because I think it's advantaged in the rug mirrors. And I believe, if I remember correctly, he went undefeated in rug mirrors on the weekend. 6-0. Six, yeah. I'm not surprised. So... If you're like, hey, Teamer Energy looks pretty well positioned, maybe I should play it. Oh, well, there are going to be a bunch of mirror matches. Well, you know, I, MJ was on camera at least once against Brad, maybe another time, I'm not sure. But either way, the Scarab God is something to look into because Brad and crew all played without it. But that's, I think, because they didn't expect a huge portion of the metagame to be the mirror match. That seems correct to me, because once you do, it's it's a clear mirror breaker. I worked a bunch on kind of the blue-black reanimator deck that was floating around prior to this tournament. I kind of expected that to have a bigger performance than it did. But as I got deeper and deeper into games with those blue-black lists, I recognized it had some severe problems. And I was actually just winning because I had Scarab God, and it was so unbeatable for so many decks. And one of the things I did quickly when I was playing and kind of tuning that deck was move up to three copies of Scarab God. And I considered playing four because it was just that dominant in that strategy. And it was, you know, it was certainly better than Liana in most cases. It was better than a lot of other options. And when, you're, when your deck is built to maximize it, it just goes bonkers. Even when it, your deck isn't built to maximize it, it's very, very good. And I honestly, I think it's kind of... Without it, blue-black would not be an archetype. It wouldn't even be close to viable. All these control builds are, are really just like Scarab God decks masquerading as control decks. Yeah, and that's all you want to do is just jab it on five. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And that's why I kept adding more and more copies. Um, only, you know, when you hit four, did it get a little awkward because of the legend rule and the fact that, well, Scarab God doesn't really die ever. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like you want to replace your Scarab Gods because he's probably back in your hand even, even if he did manage to die. Yeah. I really like the look of this list. If I was a rug guy, this would be my starting point for testing for this week. Cool. Another thing that I thought about, uh, especially, you know, considering MJ's mana base, is that he can play Woodland Wanderer pretty easily. And it's not quite the Scarab God, but it is effectively unkillable, especially in these mirror matches. Like, it might just be worse than Bristling Hydra, but just like having a 6-6 Vigilance is probably pretty good. It tramples too. Uh, I, th I think it's pretty good. I am continually impressed by how big Harness Lightnings get against get from the rug deck. Like they they just kill my huge creatures all the time. So it being a little softer there, kind of concerned. Uh, you know, if they if they Harness Lightning your Scarab God, all they really bought is a little bit of time, um, not any kind of answers. So uh, I do think it's an option. I like it a little bit more against like the mono red deck, obviously, which has just no way to deal with a card like that. 
Yeah, and it just cleanly blocks Hazaret, whereas Hydra, you need to invest a significant portion of your energy into it. Yep. But, like, these decks have a lot of different ways to use energy, and it's not like they can really just let it float around to try and harness lightning your Scarab God or whatever. And if you do play Wanderer on three or four, they have to lightning it, and then you get to play Scarab God after that. Like, chances are they don't have another harness lightning, and they don't have energy to use it. Yeah, so we're just going, like, all in on Battlecruiser-style magic, where, like, yeah, if the first guy doesn't get you, the second guy's going to. Just big fatties. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, well, you know, damage-based removal kind of being the removal du jour right now. I, I totally get that strategy. You know, that speaks back to kind of those cool Declaration in Souls we saw, or excuse me, uh, Declaration in Stone we saw out of the Monument deck really being a nice removal spell right now because it's kind of, you know, breaking the prescribed metagame and, and using some non-damage-based removal. Stone takes care of things like Hazaret, uh, mostly on the cheap. Uh, I think the games do go on long enough that the clues matter. And we generally saw Stasis Snare in that slot, and I'm kind of surprised to see Stone over Snare, just because Snare does handle Hazaret, handles Glorybringer at instant speed and all that stuff. So, hmm. not and, and like Sky Sovereign too. So like I'm, I'm kind of curious about that choice. I'm not sure if that's actually better than Snare or not. I, I would assume, too, as the blue-white deck, you're probably okay versus zombies. And that's the other you know point where Stone gets a lot of, of juice when it's picking off zombie tokens. Um, but that matchup should just be pretty favorable anyway, if I had to guess. You know, people said that, and I'm, I'm not convinced. I think it was favorable when people just continually walked into Dust Dawn. Okay, I, I don't have enough experience with it, so I'll definitely defer to your, you know, you've, you've played games of the matchup, I'm sure, whereas I don't have any under my belt. It's kind of just like on the surface, I could see blue-white being favored, but if it's really all about leaning on Dust Dawn, Dust Dawn and that doesn't work anymore, then uh, I could see things turning the corner as well. It's more so just like they, they get out a bunch of efficient threats that are kind of difficult to block or difficult to deal with, like the Relentless Deads and Diagraph Colossuses and whatnot. You're, you're like trying to block them with like two threes and stuff. And sometimes that doesn't always work. Sometimes you don't have the dust on. Uh, sometimes they could just like kill their Lord in response, but it just seems like their, their board presence is like almost always going to be bigger and better than yours. Unless you really get going with like bygone Bishop monument, cloud blazer, that sort of stuff. But mm. it's, it's their job to try and pick that apart, you know? Okay. So okay. that, that's kind of been my experience. Like I said, basically everyone else has said differently. They're just like, ah, zombies is a buy. And I have not gotten that impression at all. Yeah, I find that there's kind of a bunch of those weird misinformations circling around right now. And I don't know if it's that your personal approach to the matchup can change it so dramatically. Like even you before, you mentioned approach kind of cleaning up on ramp. I think you're hugely advantaged as the ramp player against approach, which doesn't make sense on its surface, except it's very easy to keep them off seven mana. And that's really what the entire game is about. Like, you don't worry about pressuring them. You just keep them off seven mana. I would say I'm like six and one, seven, one versus approach on the ramp side. Still a small sample size, but there's a very clear plan forward. And I feel advantage in the matchup. Um, but I could understand how on the surface you could perceive it as, oh, this approach deck just goes way over the top of ramp. Ramp can't do anything against you. It really hasn't played out that way in my experience. And another matchup where I'm starting to hear oh, this, this is a clear win on one side, is the new uh, God Pharaoh Gifts deck. I've heard people say that like Red Blue is very advantaged against the Jeskai God Pharaohs deck. I have not found that to be the case at all, especially post-board. I think uh, the Jeskai God Pharaohs Gift deck has a very good post-board board plan against other control decks, um, kind of bringing in Chandras and Negates and Dispels and Mausoleum Wanderers and getting rid of your weird stuff like Cataclysmic Gear Hulk and all those ineffectual cards, it becomes very easy to just kind of protect the one thing that matters and, and play a game where they have to answer way too much and you're able to back it up with Disruption. So Yeah, the, the blue-white one wasn't really able to board in any threats. It's like maybe yes. you can board in Gideon or whatever, but you had so many like pseudo-dead slash bad cards that it didn't matter. As far as <clears throat> approach against ramp, I could totally see that being the case. Uh, it's just like... Right now, how the decks are built, they they have like no hard counter spells, right? They just have like Supreme Will, and yes. they're they're super concerned with fighting creatures and stuff. I, I'm not sure how much that changes if they can actually like start negating you and stuff, and just like slowing you down to the point where, you know, you don't get to World Breaker them or whatever. It's super easy for them to win the matchup if they want to. Like they are tremendously sure. advantaged. All they need is like two copies of Summary Dismissal, and they probably go to a prohibitive favorite. It really sure. doesn't take a lot to turn the matchup far in their favor. But just like the default, like Dan Ward's list from the GP a few weeks back, 
I've found very easy to beat as a ramp player. And I know speaking to Dan, he feels like a underdog against ramp as well. Sure. But in like the scheme of things, as far as like what goes over the top of what, right? Yes. It's like uh, approach should be able to beat ramp if you actually put the, the work and time into it. 100%. And yeah, and, and that's basically all I'm saying. I'm not saying like the decks as they exist now, like this deck is always going to beat this deck and this deck is always going to beat this deck because that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Nope, I feel you. On, on the topic of like the Scarab God and uh, I guess kind of the zombies as a whole, like zombies is getting clowned by black green and teamer energy and approach and just like all these different decks. And I think it is time to go back to the pre PT versions of like Scarab God and Baleful Amet and stuff. I think the, the small ball grizzly bear, like go wide plan is not very effective in this metagame, but I do think like a, a big black blue deck could be good. That's interesting. And I know that, you, like myself, were very much against the Splash back in the day, but obviously things continue to change. I personally would love to have access to Negate. Again, thinking about like just one of the really big levelers as far as size go right now is Negate. It's very easy to shrink a deck when you have access to Negate because you cut off things like Hour of Promise or Approach, you know, the, the game-winning second approach especially. Um, or even, even Fumigate, you know, cutting off Fumigate is usually game over for that deck. Yeah, and I'm pretty high on invasive surgery right now because a lot of the decks that you want negate against, you actually are just going after sorceries anyway. Um, that's interesting and certainly not a widely played card right now. I'm just doing kind of a, a quick flip through the top 32 lists and I see almost no invasive surgeries, but it's it's very easy to kind of see its its place in the metagame. Yeah, I mean, what else? Like maybe you negate a Harness Lightning or a Chandra or something, but... Most of the time, it's, especially if you're playing, like, specifically black-blue zombies, like, you're trying to play, like, Scarab God and have a counterspell open or whatever, and surgery makes it so much easier for you to do that than having to have the extra land for negate. Yeah, that's something I found as well. I, you know, even Dispel versus Negate in those decks is, is a pretty big difference maker. Because when I was playing blue-black Scarab God, you know, obviously more focused on the Scarab God, but all I wanted to do was make that card live. Right. Uh, and the easiest way to do it most of the time for me was Dispel. But now that you mention Invasive Surgery, that cuts off a whole other set of avenues. And kind of, if I was blue-black zombies where I'm going wide anyway... You know, cutting off things like Fumigate for one mana is very, very appealing to me. Right. And the higher your curve is, I think the more it matters that you have like a one mana card. Like if you get to play, I don't know, like Bygone Bishop and have mana to crack a clue or Tireless Tracker play a land, have mana to crack a clue and have Negate, then that's kind of whatever, right? Like Mm -hmm. you could just play the Negate in your deck with like a low CMC and have it be fine. But if you're trying to play like three, four, five mana cards, like repeatedly with counterspell mana open, I think you want the one mana card. Um, one thing I want to talk about a little bit, um, which we've we've glazed over, you played mono red. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got to mono red? What did your list look like? How did you feel about the deck? My list was 24 lands, only eight one drops, bow mats and gorgers. Uh, I had two Chandra, three Hazarets. Four Braid, two Flow, two Collective Defiance, and that's probably, like, the only weird stuff, really. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically just wanted to get more power level out of a lot of my cards. I didn't want to draw, like, Soul Scar Mages on a Mulligan or anything like that. Yeah, I hate that and, card. Yeah. After playing with it a bunch, it's, like, useful in some matchups, and sometimes, like, just having an extra one-drop is pretty good, and it doesn't really matter. Like, you, you would just rather, you know, get Hellbent for Hazoret, but... I, I don't think it really matters that much. I think I would rather have more cards that just, like, interact with Winding Constrictor and Whirler Virtuoso and stuff, and I would rather have just, like, better top decks in general. And, you know, having more four-mana power cards just means that, like, if if you mulligan, you can actually, like, kind of mitigate that to some degree with some of your stuff instead of, like, just drawing a bunch of Village Messengers, you know? Seeing, seeing the other red decks in the top eight was pretty interesting because uh, basically all of them went a little bit bigger, I think. Gotta look at Sam's, I guess. Uh, he had three messengers still. But yeah, like we, it seems like we're all kind of on the same page. And like I said before, red just exists in this spot where there isn't really a deck that just KOs it, right? Like a lot of the decks just have like Max Chandra, Max Glorybringer now. So it's actually questionable how much of a favorite like black green and zombies are against the deck in mm-hmm. in a match right so yeah, another card that's starting to show up i would love to get your opinion on because i i've had mixed experiences with the card um i've been trying it for a while now i first saw i think oliver two 
uh, tweeted about it quite a while ago, and that's Sweltering Suns. Did you play Sweltering Suns in your sideboard? Nah, man. Nah, I had I had Sand Stranglers. Okay. It- a lot of people are playing Sweltering Suns now, and I, I do get it. My experience, personally, has been very negative. Have you, have um, you been playing with the red deck? I have been playing with the red deck, yes. Okay. Didn't seem very good to me in theory, because just like, I want to play some things and deal them some damage, kind of like clear the way, and then once they clean up that stuff, then I want to start dropping big stuff, right? Like, ideally, that's how a game plays out. And at no point am I just going to, like, not play my two drops so I can try and, like, set up Sweltering Suns on three. It's just, like, ridiculous to me. Yeah, that's exactly the issue I ran into, is that there, there's no point where taking the foot off your foot off the gas actually benefits you in the long game. It may benefit you in the moment, but then you think back and you reconstruct the game and you're at the end of the game and you realize you passed on three damage as your opponent sits there at three life and wins the game. Um, it happened over and over to me. Um, so it wasn't just like a one-off. And the only time when it was really like impressive was when I was playing against zombies. They had dealt with my initial rush effectively I hadn't slowed down, but they had had enough defense to kind of mitigate my early aggression. And then I was able to swelter in Suns and kind of we were both at, you know, very low resources at that point and made it into a top deck war. If there are 20, though, being in a top deck war against zombies isn't necessarily a great spot to be in anyway. So, right. Yeah, I mean, um, I could I could see those situations happening where it's like you keep the gas on until they kill all your stuff and then maybe you sweltering Suns them. But like, I don't know. If the Sweltering Suns were Another a proactive card, card you know, absolutely. Then, then maybe you're still on the offensive. Like, I could see it as a 2 but I'm seeing, like, a lot of lists that have, like, three, and it's, like, a big part of their plan. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not all about that. On, on the topic of invasive surgery, though, I did have two warping whales in my sideboard. Oh, that's a nifty one. Yeah. Wow. I'm thinking about all the applications right now very quickly in my head. What was your, your, main, your main catch with warping whale? Was it there mostly for sweepers? I dropped it five and two, so I did not play very many rounds. Okay. But yeah, ideally, I'm I'm whaling like our promise and approach and fumigate, right? Like, that's mostly what I'm trying to hit. But then there are some situations that came up where it's like I made a scion to make a turn three Chandra or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's pretty sweet, too. That does sound sweet. Certainly a, a versatile enough card that you can almost always find a use for it. I'm trying to think, like, wh- what did you exclude from your sideboard that other decks would typically have access to so you were able to get Warping Whale? I didn't play any Chandra's Defeats. Okay. I had a bunch of Pias. I had three Pia, three Glorybringer, uh, two Warping Whale, a Harvester, a Cut, a Scavenger Grounds, two Sand Stranglers. Okay. Nothing too, cr- nothing too crazy. Pias were great. Uh, my opponent's Harvesters were generally better against me than they had been. I just, like, had an issue drawing a braid. And even in some scenarios, it's like they could bait in a braid out, right, and then play Harvester. Yeah. So I I think I I was initially, like, kind of lukewarm on that card, but I think it's probably better than I thought it was. What do you think about Sky Sovereign from the Mono Red deck as opposed to maybe Glorybringers? Crew 3 is hard. Your your Crew 3 is going to be... You know, you're tapping a Hazoret to turn this thing on or whatever, and that doesn't seem worth it to me. That does not sound ideal. Yeah, I, I tried it for a little while. I, I don't think I ever actually drew them. I know they were in my sideboard, and eventually they just worked their way out kind of by, you know, natural naturally cycling through cards. I don't have any positive experiences, but I don't recall any negative experiences with them either. They just really were never relevant in games I played. Going forward, uh, there's this God Pharaoh's Gift deck, which we can talk about a little bit more. But yeah, I would like I, to talk about that. I had Scavenger Grounds because since we were at this party and a lot of people were talking about like this God Pharaoh's Gift deck, it's like, okay, I could play Seagate Wreckage, but I kind of just want these instead. I also had the two Sand Stranglers, which w- were very good before, but I think are less good now. So you can kind of make that swap if you want to. Like, I would definitely want one Seagate Wreckage somewhere. But Scavenger Grounds is still pretty good. Zach... Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. I, I know the kid. Like, he's on Team Card Order or whatever. But uh, he had released the Gremlins in his sideboard, which I think would be, like, a reasonable one of. Mm-hmm. You know, just some way to kill the gift. Like, have an additional way to kill the gift once it's in play. That worries me a little bit, though, because usually the first gift, it's like, if they bring back 6-6 Angel, can you really overcome that in a lot of spots? 
No, 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 not the angel, but like you can you can beat a gear hulk, you can clean up like whatever oh, it sure. was, you know. For sure. They just but the thing is they just see so much of their deck so quickly. I mean, certainly I've I've been in the spot where I don't have the angel, but it feels like most of the time it it's there when I need it. Well, there are also spots where it's like, you know, you have 10 points of damage in play and the angel up to 6 or up 6 life and then you get to kill the gift and like you can still fight through the angel, you know, it's like not necessarily game over, so yeah, uh, I could see spots like that happening, and like Mardu is around. I don't think that Mardu is a particularly good deck, but it is it is there. So like having an additional shatter would not be the worst. Yeah, uh, I, I I finally talked myself into playing some Mardu, even despite like my, kind of my resistance to it. it. It's as bad as you think it is. <laughs> I don't yeah, have anything uh, good to say about it whatsoever. I mean, I, I certainly ran into Mardu problems with my deck, like trying to curve one through five. It's just like I continually die with Glorybringer in my hand. Yeah, I guess as time goes on, we're, the red decks are starting to look a little Mardu-ish in their execution for sure. Oh, yeah. Eight, eight one drops all the way up to five drops, 25 land. Sounds very familiar. Yeah, going to have some problems. I think going forward, like red is red is still very good. And I don't feel bad about my choice to play it. Like, there were three in the top eight. Uh, I think that my list was completely fine. If I could do it all over again, I guess I would just try and play with Tireless Tracker. But red red is a fine second choice. But if and when I go to DC, are you going to DC? I'm going to go to DC, yes. Cool. Maybe we can get that picture, update our, our, our Patreon information. I don't know. This is the go-to time. This is, this is the best opportunity, I think. Maybe for... I don't know. I think I'm going to be playing the Providence GP as well, the team GP. So maybe that one. Are you, are you still going to be traveling with your team? I might be around for Worlds, but like I might be around in Providence, but I'm definitely not going to play in the Grand Prix. I think it's a waste of my time. That makes sense. You kind of have some bigger fish to fry at that moment. Yeah, I think I can do more work just playing 12 hours of Magic Online. But anyway, yeah, I want to play Tireless Tracker. I think like green is just the best color. Like Everything is so smooth and consistent and... Even if your matchup is like 5% worse, it's like your deck is 5% more likely to function. So Yeah, just having all the right colors and mana all the time is a, a pretty big thing. It's it's funny, Attune was such an underwhelming card on its surface. Like when you first looked at it, you're like, oh yeah, maybe this will see a little play in like hyper-dedicated energy decks. But I feel like I've just like grown accustomed to having access to Attune at this point. Like <laughs> I love turn one Attuning and just never having to worry about mana again for the rest of the game. Yeah, don't have to worry about mana, like your first energy card is online, like mm -hmm. your your cub that would otherwise be a 2-2 two -two is just so much better as a 3-3. Three -three. Oh, it's such a huge difference when you have a tune on one and then go into cub. It's like it's a totally different card. Honestly, yeah. just all the removal lines up completely differently. Total total game changer. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll be teamer dude. I was looking at some Woodland Wanderers. Uh, probably will not pull the trigger on that just because I think Hydra is probably the same thing, but... Maybe better. A little bit worse against Hazoret, but probably better overall. I don't know, though. Trample's, Trample's good. I think you'll find your bread is probably pretty buttered by the Scarab God. He'll be, he'll be your guy from this point forward. The way he breaks down those, those mirrors is just tremendous. Rug has such a hard time dealing with that card. And I don't think they really have good options to adjust to it. Like, honestly, the, the cleanest answer they have is, like, Magma Spray into Harness Lightning. So you're already two for one. As the Scarab God player, it feels like you lost in that exchange. Usually if someone two-for-ones you, you're like, uh, or, you know, one-for-twos you, you feel like you're in a pretty good spot, and you're just like, oh, I just wish I had my Scarab God instead. Yeah. Struggle to survive is, like, the actual answer. That does seem the cleanest way to do it. It's not great. No, but... it's expensive. Very expensive. I mean, I guess it's on mana parity with the, the card itself, but... Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about this God Pharaoh's Gift deck? Because I, I think as much as, like... The dominance by Brad and, and Brian and, and Corey is one A story here. I think this deck is the one B story because this kind of came out of nowhere. And if you just dip a little bit below that top eight, you see some really great players on this deck with some really great results. Yeah, I think this deck is probably garbage. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so yeah, it got 11th, 12th. 15th and 19th and these were again all people who attended this party and they were openly talking about their deck matt nass had played it a bunch and andrew beckstrom had played it a bunch and they came to like some different conclusions you know talking about how bad glint nest crane is and whatnot but it's uh, it's all trying to do the same thing it's gate to the afterlife into god pharaoh's gift and just the usual stuff with like some backdoor ways to cast your fatties which is not the best i think but whatever 
What what is your main sticking point with this deck? Is it the same sticking point we've had with God Pharaoh's Gift this whole time? Is that it's you know this hugely expensive, very demanding card that is answered by a two mana instant? I mean, yeah, it gets answered, but like obviously there's a lot of other things going on with this deck too. Like if you only are sitting on a braid, like they're gonna chip shot you with their little dorks, and a lot of their little dorks do things. They're they're not like great things or anything, but yeah, I, I think this is just one of those decks where. Everyone is going to be focused on God Pharaoh's gift, like either exiling graveyards or like trying to sandbag removal to kill it. But it's like they either have so many copies of it between Gate, Trophy Mage, and God Pharaoh's gift, uh, or they just like kill you with the little stuff, you know. So it's it's one of those decks that's like a little bit tricksy, and you have to figure out how to play against it. And the games are going to play out differently the majority of the time, you know. Yeah. I, I do think it's difficult to play against, probably. I'm in the midst of my very first league with this deck, so I'm certainly, you know, still getting my feet wet. I don't have any real hard conclusions or completely fleshed out opinions about the viability of the deck going forward. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. I like that its game plan feels very versatile. You win many games, I believe, where you never, ever have a God Pharaoh's Gift in play, um, and you're still able to find things to do. I really like, and, and not every version had this, I really like the one of Aetherseer Harvester that Corey played. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine playing four Trophy Mage and not having that card in your 75. Yeah, that seems crazy to me. And the, the option to get that card has been very much appreciated. And I honestly don't know how you win a lot of games without it against decks like Red. It's such a low cost to have it in your deck. If I had one piece of advice I could share right now on this deck, it is play Aetherseer Harvester. Just one copy, that's all you need. And as far as its viability, I think I need some more games. But it's really in my wheelhouse. I love these kind of like multiple plan It's, it's Rally. Decks. Yeah, it feels like Rally. It feels like, you know, there's just a host of decks throughout the history of Magic that have played this kind of same split game plan. And yeah, it, it feels good right now, but I, I see a lot of the inherent problems in it. I don't know if it's ultimately going to be my go-to deck for this weekend, but it's on the list and I will get in a bunch more games with it before the time comes to make my decision. My concern with this deck is like, where exactly does it fit? And this also just seems like a deck that Teamer just beats up on. I haven't played against Teamer yet. I'm thinking about how the cards line up. I can see why you say that. You know, everything they do is so much bigger than what you do <laughs> like your cards don't line up particularly well and they answer your 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 best draws they certainly have very clean answers to so i could see that matchup being troubling and i would bet kind of like you did um that the people who played this deck probably didn't expect teamer to be the story of the tournament but i do think it's pretty safe to say that this coming weekend and there's not a lot of big stuff going on i, I really think it's pretty much just the rptq as far as meaningful tournaments and even that's only meaningful to a very select group of people but I, I do think that you have to expect that teamer is going to be the default deck right now yeah absolutely i mean there's a limited grand prix i'm looking at the scg schedule right now uh, they, their next thing is gpdc so yeah yeah so a, a slower weekend um but one that i would still put in teamer's house for the time being and that's where your game planning should start I think I am content registering Scarab God and a Braid in a field of like God Pharaoh's gift decks. <laughs> yeah, that was that's one of the cool things. I, I pretty consistently was beating. It was just the blue red version. It was black and white at that point, but I was playing against it a lot when I was playing the blue black deck. And you just play Scarab God, and it's so difficult for them to beat. I remember a game where they had like two active God Pharaoh's gifts in turn in, in play for like five or six turns. But I was just taking their best creatures with my my Scarab God that I had successfully untapped with. And they were never really able to mount any kind of offense that was better than what I was doing. Yep. Yeah, more points for the Scarab God there. He's also an amazing piece of graveyard hate, it turns out. Who knew? Dude, it's just, it's good against Teamer. It's good against God Pharaoh's Gift. Good against Red. This card is just not bad. It's not bad anywhere. Like, the white removal and maybe some of the black removal is, like, kind of the downside where maybe they get a tempo advantage off of you. But that's it. Yeah, when you're dealing with a tremendous game-breaking upside, you're usually willing to swallow that tempo advantage, and, and I am in this case for sure. Scarab God is my homie right now. Yeah, I mean, there are very few games where you, you jam it and you're just like, oh man, I hope this sticks or whatever. You generally end up playing a couple of removal spells on a turn and then playing it so mm -hmm. that you have time to actually untap. And yep. if they spend their turn to kill it, it's like, whatever, I'll just do it again, you know? 
yeah, my experience has been exactly the same. Um, was there anything else in this GP that kind of caught your eye in these these top 32 lists? I think we covered most of the main players here. I think Mono Black Zombies is dead. I think Black Green is also pretty dead, and the deck is infinitely customizable. Maybe you can figure out a build that's good. Maybe going back to Black Green Energy and just going under people is the correct way to do things. Uh, I've been thinking about maybe... Uh, the opposite approach and kind of going back to spiders and maybe some mind rack demons. But doing that against red is, is still too problematic for me. I, I just don't think you're going to have that kind of setup and you can certainly not play cards like vessel again. So I don't, I don't know if that's going to pan out. Demon is hella good against red. Like spider is also pretty good, but they can fight through it. Uh, Scarab God is your late game would be awesome. But, like, yeah, I don't know how much early game stuff you need to play necessarily, like, how many ballistas or whatever. Just, like, Grim Flayer seems pretty embarrassing yeah. in this field. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you only have, really, the the two Delirium payoffs of, of Spider and Demon, and then you give up turns one through three. Like, your turns one through three are so much worse because you're you're getting those good fours and fives. And, honestly, the kind of ruthless efficiency of the uh, more aggressive decks... Both, I, I'd put zombies in that same category. If you give zombies turns one through three for free, you're going, you're not going to be able to catch up. There's no combination of cards that's going to come back from those, you know, free rolls they get where they have Crypt Breaker going for multiple turns and keep a Diagraph Colossus in play. So, I I think that those two decks are just too kind of ruthless in their aggression over the first three turns for this to be a viable strategy. Um, yeah. But you can see where those those cards are lining up very well against the format. Maybe there's yeah. a different way to get to those cards. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I've I've thought about it, but nothing seems particularly good. You know, now, that's kind of where I fall as well. They they tickle my fancy, and I'm like, I just can't find the way to bridge the gap here. So, other than that, I don't know. Like Jonathan Job with mono white Eldrazi. I don't know if that is better or worse than playing Monument. Like getting to play with Dust Dawn seems quite good, but. Yeah, I don't get this one. I don't know. For me to want to play a deck like this, the Matter Reshaper, Thought Not Seer, and, and probably Reality Smasher, which is not present in the main deck here, and I, I don't think it's in the sideboard either. Those cards would have to line up much better than they currently do, and I I messed with the Mono Black Eldrazi list a little bit, but Matter Reshaper is pretty embarrassing right now, and uh, Thought Not Seer is really not doing it for me either in this format when there's you know a million Chandras, Glorybringers all over the place, so... Don't see the appeal of that one as of now. Yeah, I do like Thought Knots here, and I think that's like another way that you could attack the approach decks instead of having Warping Whale mm -hmm. out of like the red deck sideboard. But I mostly agree with you. I don't think it's like a great main deck card. I think it's just good in very specific matchups. Agreed. Great sideboard card. I, I still have them in the sideboard of my ramp deck and love having them there, but uh, they're very far removed from my main deck at this point. Yeah, I believe that. I guess it, I guess it is just teamer. Because nothing is super great against it. Monument, I think, is 55-60%. It is still like pretty close because their deck is a bunch of grizzly bears and your deck is a bunch of mythic rares. So mm. you just like outcard them a lot of the time. Yep, that sounds right to me. Where's your kind of satisfaction level with this format? Are you still enjoying it? Do you, do you think this is kind of... Me, personally, I'm very squarely in the camp that this is you know, eons past where our last few standard formats were, but those last few standard formats were some of the worst in quite a while. So I, I don't actually know if I'm heaping praise on here. I think that some of the luster is wearing off this format for me. For me, it's like, oh, hey, this is what everyone always says they want, right? Like, this is a super diverse format. Like, nothing is super oppressive after, you know, they ban 20 cards or whatever. And... The gameplay is like pretty reasonable and fun. You you can tune your deck to beat other things. Like the format has a lot of churn and it's just like rapidly evolving week after week. And it's still just like, huh, I don't know. Like it's it's not really doing it for me. I mean, maybe this is it's eight set standard. I feel like it should have rotated already and stuff like that. But I do think the the main reason that I'm I'm just kinda over it is that like there's only so much diversity in the actual gameplay. It's like the games themselves are like pretty fun and tactical, but the, the games are mostly the same a lot of the time. And it's like, I've kind of played all these games already, you know? I'm feeling some of that. I, I get where you're coming from. I also am, and you know, this could be a, a more of an indictment of myself than the format, but I, I'm getting frustrated 
that I can't find the best deck to just like hone in on, yes, this is this correct strategy. If I just optimize this and find the best list of this for every week, then I'll be in a good place. I appreciate a rotating format to some extent, but I, I kind of forget the frustration of a format that I, I can't really figure out. I, I haven't felt, I felt like I was ahead on week one and that was about the last time I, I felt like I was ahead of this format and it feels like playing catch up all the time right now. Fair. Just a, a lot a lot going on, a, a lot of cycling and kind of just, you got to pick your spot and find the right spot on that spectrum we talked about. Uh, yeah. and it's, it's proving difficult for sure. Well, how much time do you spend just like playing games versus actively, you know, looking at things and, and trying to think about them? So that's another interesting point. Previously, and the way I've always approached magic, part of it being because I tend to be very busy in my personal life and my professional life is that Basically, every spare second where like a boss thinks I'm listening to what they're <laughs> what project they want me to do, I'm actually thinking about magic in my head. I didn't play a lot of games previously. I just thought about magic all the time. In this instance, I'm playing a ton of magic and probably spending less time thinking about it because when you're really engaged in, in the depths of a game of magic, you're not thinking about macro things about the format. You're thinking about, oh, do I attack here? Do I block? You know, so I, I probably am thinking about the entirety of the format less than I ever have in the past and thinking more about the gameplay. So maybe where my technical play is a little bit tighter than it typically is, uh, I'm lagging behind in kind of my format-wide analysis. Yeah, sometimes I just like to take a step back and look at things and just like, you know, write out all the decks in the format on the whiteboard, like cross some things off the list if I can, and then just try and figure out like what people are going to play next week and like what makes sense for them to play mm -hmm. and then see if there's a, a way to exploit that. But if, if you're just like caught up with like jamming games and, and playing with different decks and stuff, it's like the world's just going to pass you by at some yep. point, you know? No, that's very solid advice. And certainly the approach I usually uh, ascribe to is just thinking a lot more about the games. But I think that because I've had the option to do otherwise, there's always something new in this format. Like there's always something else where I'm like, well, I need to be familiar with this God Pharaoh's gift deck or how can I really evaluate whether this is the right move forward? Whereas in the past, I would just be like, eh, this seems like it has some fundamental problems. I'll just pass on this deck and focus on, you know, the things I do have time to kind of analyze. And yeah. I, I'm kind of falling victim to my own free time right now, which is a weird position for me to be in. One that will probably change very shortly when I begin working full time again. But it's it's interesting. I, I like seeing this spectrum because as someone who, you know, hasn't been a full time professional magic player, I've always kind of bemoaned the fact like, oh, I have to make do on such small amounts of time. What if I just had unlimited time? I'd be able to figure out so much more. And I'm starting to see that maybe that's not the case. Maybe you do get bogged down in, in these little details so much. And it, it's worth a lot more to just spend time thinking about the game. Sometimes, sometimes. sometimes. I think there's, there's, both, I, there's both sides for sure. Right. I think there's a healthy mix that it ends up being optimal, you know? Like, I, I think before it might have been like, you know, you, you think about the format and like the big picture stuff and you kind of nail that. And then maybe it's just like specific card choices or, or maybe play or rust or something is like contributed to you losing or something. And now it's just like you, you're playing the decks well and you have like a good list of that deck, but maybe it's not right for the week. Yeah, I, I think that's that's how I felt in most cases. You know, just maybe a, a half step behind or in a couple instances, maybe a half step ahead too. And whereas I usually am very adept at finding that sweet spot. So Yeah. Well, man, uh, there's there's no standard going on this weekend, really. I guess the, the RPTQ, right? That's it. But that's a, that's a big one for me. Yeah, okay? I, like, I guess it is the big one. I, yeah. I wanted to say like, oh, man, you can like relax. Just think about the format. There's... There's no like pressing issue or whatever, but there is. You actually have to play standard the next two weeks. So. Yeah, and I bought myself a little time trying to like uh, you know push back this RPTQ as long as I could. I <laughs> now maybe wish I just fired this past weekend because I was I was kind of around rug like that's the deck I've been gravitating towards and kind of around the Scarab God. So who knows what the RPTQ field looked like though? It could have been totally different than the GP field. So I think it's still good, man. Okay, I think that's a, a wise piece of advice. I will probably start with a uh, scarab god teamer as as my home base for this week and see if we can find a sweet list before sunday's rptq cool yeah if i if i get some free time next week i i will be looking at playing myself and man i'm, I'm looking at like prices for things and the, the scarab god is finally 15 
Yeah, he's, he's been so he's been creeping up slowly as uh, he's kind of made his home across different decks. As as idiots like you and me read his text and find out he can target any graveyard, and uh, learn just how awesome the Scarab God is. Dude, I was I was playing a pre pro tour man in that blue black zombie deck. Yeah, but yeah. we re- we misread it the first time when we first talked about it. We had no idea what the Scarab God actually did. That might be true. I don't remember. It, it was. We we missed it. We, we missed it. Only. Oh, yeah, because I think someone did it against me. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I took my champion away. It's drew four cards. Yep. Oh, this guy's way better than I thought he was. Yep. And uh, it's, that's relevant text, you know? Yeah. Agreed. All right. So, team are still good. Scarab God to break the mirror. Maybe change the sideboard a little bit. I don't know. Not sure if like the same plan is good. Like presumably they're bringing in like confiscation coups and more chandras and stuff. And I think Scarab God just kind of trumps all that as long as you don't fall too far behind. Yeah, I mean, I will say it does suck to get your Scarab God confiscation coup, but at least you get him back when you kill him in that case. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's all about those tempo swings, right? Mm-hmm. It's not even like the game goes on for forever. You're eventually going to beat them. It's just a matter of you know. Trying to keep their board pretty dry and make it so they're not pressuring you very much and you'll have infinite time. Spot on. I think that's the way to go. Maybe Monument. I don't know. I think I like this Monument deck too much. Uh, I, I, I'm too far along at this point to dive back into the Monument zone. I passed on it in the last format. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's just a headache waiting to happen. Yeah. Like, especially now, I think the clock is ticking. Like, you, you have a finite amount of time leading up to this tournament. You should probably just, like, Try and pick a deck and, and focus. Agreed. Yeah, my, my friend Connor was trying to sell me on the Monument deck a couple weeks ago. He's like, oh, it just beats everything. And then I'm like, okay, well, if you... I think we were playing the mocks or something. And I'm like, you go ahead and win this mocks, and then I'll I'll follow your lead. And he did not. So that was it for me for Monument. I just passed him that point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sometimes that's all it takes. All right. Uh, next week, I think we're talking about Modern. Yeah, excited to talk Modern. A lot has gone on since... Uh, I don't know if you and I have ever talked Modern before. I think we've been focused on standards since we started. So this could be a a really fun thing for us. Yeah, that might be true. I have a lot of thoughts too. I've been waiting for a modern tournament to happen. It just never does. There's a deck that I really want to play. I'm excited to hear about it. All right. Well, we'll talk about it next week. Beautiful. That's game. Good luck.